Luke chapter 3 is where we're at this morning. Luke chapter 3, a voice crying in the desert. Around Christmas time and since then we've actually made our way through Luke chapter chapters 1 and 2. And so we're going to be in Luke for a while. Luke chapter 3 this morning is where we're at. I want to say thank you to all of the parents that uh, week in and week out bring your kiddos and just come to church. I mean, that's a miracle in and of itself. Uh, this morning, I had to get up my oldest two, uh, five-year-old now, Graham, and three-year-old Adeline, all by myself, uh, and, and got them here, and it was a miracle. And they may have powdered donuts all over their face, but they're here. And so I'm just incredibly thankful for all of the people that bring your kiddos every, every Sunday and have to deal with the attitude and the drama, and the spiritual warfare. I mean, I think I said ten times in the name of Jesus, get out of my house this morning. So Luke chapter 3, that's where we're at this morning. A voice crying in the wilderness. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to just start off reading the first two verses. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Aturia, and Trachonitis, that's not bronchitis, but Trachonitis, and these words, Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, not Texas, Abilene, over in Israel, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, Luke is being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so God is using his personality. His, his, uh, he's a physician. He's very precise. By the way, if you have a doctor, they need to be precise and know what they're doing. And so Luke was like that. And he, he, he was very detailed. And so he tells us all of these, these leaders to the T. He tells us, Details. Why? Why is that important? Well, look there. Basically, he's letting us know this is a year or two before Jesus began his ministry. This is about 20, well, it's 29 AD, Tiberius. He says he's basically, um, if you know anything about Tiberius Caesar, he was a very bad guy. Okay? He was not nice. He was a mean dude. You didn't want to meet him on the street. He was evil. He was the third of the 12 Caesars. He was cruel, he was covetousness, he was a drunk, he advocated for evil. He was one of Satan's minions. The land was evil. Pilate is mentioned there. Josephus tells us this man was evil. He was the one that brought idol worship into Jerusalem. And then you have Herod Antipas, ruled Galilee and Perea, and brother, his brother Phil, Philip II, ruled east of the Jordan River and north of the, the Yamuk River. And so what's all that have to do with tea in China? Well, I believe, and maybe you believe, that we serve a God that is real. These are real events. These are real details. Jesus is not just something that some people made up. He's a living God, and this is His Word. and We can trust it. And so Luke mentions all of these leaders to remind you and me that we don't serve a dead Christ this morning, but we serve a risen one. He's alive. We don't serve a God that cannot hear us, but we serve a God that can hear us. He, he does see us. We serve a God who is real and who is active and who is at work. And then it says, verse 2, 
that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. The word of God came to Zechariah. Now, why in the world was John in the wilderness? Strange place to be. But he was born, we know, from who was his parents? Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he was born to be a priest. He was from the lineage of a priesthood family. Therefore, John should have been a priest. But he left the priesthood. Why? Because it was corrupt. In fact, a few of those priests were mentioned there in the second verse. Annas and Caiaphas. See, they were, they were intertwined with the, the Roman government. And they were all of these shady back deals were happening and all this stuff. And the priesthood had become corrupt. They didn't love the Lord. And so John the Baptist said, I'm not having any of that. I'm going. I, I'm, he didn't barely know where he was going, but he went to the wilderness. Now Luke chapter 1 said this prophecy about Zechariah. I mean, John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1 verse 16 says, And he, being John the Baptist, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of the fathers to the children and to the and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You see, John the Baptist, his message was a message of repentance. And it's not a popular message. John the Baptist, he didn't come to talk about the love and the grace and, and, and the gravy on top kind of God. He came to share, you better be warned and you better be ready. Because before you can accept this Messiah, you must turn away from your sin. You must let it go. The Word of God came to John in the wilderness. Now, it had been 460 years. 460 years since God's people had heard from the Lord. No prophet had risen. It was silent. Not since Malachi. 460 years. Today, we live in a covenant, new covenant. We live in a uh, post-cross, empty grave era. And yet, many of us, for, it's as if God is silent. The problem with that is that the Lord's not silent. Jesus told us that His sheep, they hear His voice, they know it, they follow it. And He speaks every day through His Spirit to His sheep. They listen. And He primarily chooses to speak. Yeah, He can speak through a rainbow. A skittle can fall and hit you on the head if the Lord wanted it to. And I'm sure He has done that for you maybe in many ways. God can speak in an unexpected way. But primarily the Lord chooses to speak through His Word. Well, I need a voice. We don't need a voice. We need a verse. We have God's voice in this verse. He's written us a letter. Have you ever been around people that just love Jesus with all their heart? They're people of the book. You ever been around a people, a church where revival's taking place and people are coming to Christ and, and people are broken and humble before the Lord and, and worship uh, is, is just so awesome because it's not about anybody else but Jesus? By the way, this morning's worship, I really enjoyed it, even though we had all this crazy going on. I mean, the Lord's in the house. And He receives the praise of His people. 
But when God starts to move, it's most oftentimes because He's spoken to them through His Word. You ever been around people that are eager to talk about Jesus in the public square? You know the person at work that just, I don't know, they go to church, something happens, or they go, go on a retreat, or they just in their quiet time, and they come to work, and they just start talking about Jesus, and it even makes you nervous, because you're thinking, they're, they're going to get us all fired. You know those people? Most often time, the people that are the most bold in the public square are those that have been in the private square with the Word of God. And anybody can talk the talk this morning. That's not hard to do. But at the end of the day, it's he or she who is in the Word of God that will hear from God. And you know what's awesome? You can take this thing with you fishing. You can take it with you in the car. Be careful. Audio is probably best in the car if you're driving. But we have it. We have a copy. We should treasure it. This is the most underrated object in your home. This is it. I mean, there are people that don't have this translated into their, their language. And so if we don't stay in the Word, you know what's going to drive us every day? Our own wisdom, our own ambition. Good luck with that. But the cultural narrative of the day is going to blow you to and fro. And you're not going to be able to stand because your life's not built on the Word. It's built on what you know best and what you think best and on your best effort to serve the Lord. But we're in the Word of God. We heed to the wisdom of God. Now look at verse 3. And He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Look what it says. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. For 460 years, God's people clung to this verse that was just quoted. Message of repentance. Why was John the Baptist called to deliver a message of repentance? It's because the people were wicked. They were wicked. And you can't not be reconciled to God unless you repent. Now the word repent, many of us know it. It means to do what? To turn away from. To turn away from. You know, Jesus told the woman at the well, after He blew her mind, but right, the last thing he said was what? Go and sin no more. You see, you can't follow Jesus and hold on to everything else in the world. You cannot follow Jesus and hold on to private sins in your life. Luke chapter 13 is a story that the Lord shared. and He was sharing with these Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
Are those 18 on whom the tower in Salem fell and killed them? Do you think that they're... They were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, these spiritual experts, they thought that these Galileans had died because obviously they had committed some great sin. They, were, they obviously had a lot of sin in their life and that's why they died. And so what Jesus was saying is that, hey, Your sin is just as equal as their sin. They all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 7, He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by Him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, Mark's Gospel tells us what about John the Baptist? That he wore camel's hair, that he wore a leather belt around his waist. This guy, he was a piece of work. John the Baptist was the original hipster. John the Baptist was grunge before grunge was a thing. John the Baptist, he was focused on one thing, and he didn't care what you and I thought about him. And these people were so confused. They said, are you Elijah? Well, before we get there, let's let's talk a little bit more about John the Baptist. He ate locusts. Why would you do that? Probably because his preaching was so unpopular and he didn't have any way of uh, taking care of himself. He had to eat locusts. That's all he had in the desert. But John the Baptist knew everything there was to know about locusts. Locusts was the food of the desert. He knew you could barbecue it, you could boil it, you could bake it. You could saute it, you could have locust kebabs, you could do locust creole, pineapple locust, lemon locust, locust stew, locust salad, locust and potatoes. That's about it. But his favorite was honey locust. Locust with honey drizzled over it. John the Baptist, people thought he was nuts. People thought he was had lost his mind. His message was unpopular. He was not invited to preach anywhere. They didn't put John the Baptist on the radio. They didn't put his sermons on TV. He didn't have any friends because his message was hostile. It was offensive. It was unpopular. And his message primarily was this. You are wicked and you need to repent. That's strong. College students, you didn't see this guy preaching at Passion. Now, don't go feeling sorry for John the Baptist, okay? It's easy to do that. But Jesus said about John the Baptist that there was no man who was greater than John the Baptist. He had the joy of the Lord all over him. We'll see that in a second. He had the Lord as his best friend. He had the Lord as his constant companion there in the desert. And he had this righteous anger. He says, you brood of vipers. Now in seminary they teach you don't, don't start your sermon out that way. You know, don't. It's not going to be popular. I guess you could. You feel that of the Lord. But 
you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now what's he saying? What did all of these Jewish believers identify with a snake? A viper? The devil, right? They knew the, the story of the Garden of Eden. They, they knew that the serpent was a symbolic of who the, the enemy was. And John the Baptist essentially said, look, you are sons of the devil. You brood of vipers. And then it's like John the Baptist is amazed. He says, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? In other words, John the Baptist, he is amazed. Now in verse 3 it says, He went into all the region around the Jordan. Okay, so he was in the wilderness, large mountains with sand and just very rugged, cold at night, hot in the day kind of thing. But the Scripture says that he came out of that into a region around the Jordan River. Now what was around the Jordan River? People. It was a lot of people. There were probably folks along the river selling stuff. There was people bathing, probably. Hopefully they had some kind of shower curtain. Maybe not. There were people washing dishes there by the river. There, were, there was probably a market. There was probably maybe an ironsmith. I don't know. I just think of Silver Dollar City minus all the rides. You know, it was bustling with activity. And so John the Baptist shows up. He comes to them and he starts preaching. John says, do not say, do not begin to say, verse 8. He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Verse 9. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist was the self-righteous Pharisee and Sadducee's nightmare. John the Baptist... He called it out. He basically said, look, you are depending, you Jewish folk are depending upon your, your heritage, your, your blood lineage, your family traditions in order to save you and to help make you right before God. And John said, that's not how it works. Your faith has got to be an active faith that bears fruit. You cannot say, we have Abraham as our father, because that's only going to take you so far. They thought they're descendants of Abraham, they're good. And John the Baptist says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew tells us that people came from all over. They came from Jerusalem, they came from all over Judea and all of the region around the Jordan. Probably thousands of people flocked to hear this man wearing camel's hair. Why? Because the Spirit of God drew them. John was even amazed. He says, who, who, sent, you know, who sent you here? Who told you that you were wicked? And God Almighty was drawing the people. Truth is that unless the Lord draws us, unless the Lord breaks us, we will not come to repentance. 
the crowds asked him, what shall we do? And he answered, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. And the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in His hand to clear His threshing floor and to gather the wheat into His barn. But the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. So some folks were so amazed with John the Baptist, they thought, well, could this be the Messiah? And John the Baptist was very clear. I am not. But he's coming. John said, I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. If anybody was worthy, he would have been John the Baptist. John the Baptist was insinuating to Jewish people that they need to be baptized. Baptism at that time was a ritual for Jewish people to walk through the temple sacrifices. And so when John says you need to be baptized, he was telling them all of these things that you have done, all of these rituals, all of this tradition, that's not what saves you. That's not what makes you right with God. You need to repent. And so this morning really... We're getting the first part of the gospel is repentance. Before a person can come and know Christ, they have to understand that they're lost. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand, talking about the Lord, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In other words, John says that the Lord's coming. And those that know the Lord will be gathered in the barn. And those that do not, that who have not repented and put their faith and hope in Jesus and God, they will be sent to hell. And that's what he's mentioning here, an unquenchable fire. Now here's the positive side of John the Baptist, verse 18. So with many exhortations, with, with many encouragements, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked John in prison. Now, John, all he did wrong was be obedient. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6, if you, if you have your Bible. If not, well, maybe we can throw it up. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. Has anyone, could, you, could anyone testify today that their obedience to the Lord has gotten them in trouble? Maybe it was uh, in the home. Maybe it was uh, in the workplace. Maybe it was just a consequence of 
of being serving the Lord and doing what's right, maybe you lost some of your best friends. The Christian life is a life of taking up the cross and following the Lord. And there's great blessings, right? I mean, sure, you may lose some friends, but the Lord will give you a better one. They will stand with you in the good times and the bad times. But for John the Baptist, his obedience got him killed. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 14. We're going to read a few verses here. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known, and some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah, and others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he had heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and said, and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, for because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother, and when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. You see what obedience the Lord will get you? Are you ready for that? Obedience to the Lord will often lead us to serious consequences in this life. Serious consequences, good and bad. And sometimes, even death. wonder this morning what your obedience and my obedience, what consequences will that bring to us? Are you walking in obedience to the Lord this morning? This morning, have you decided to follow most of the Word of God or just, yeah, most of it and then leave, leaving out a few things that you don't like? That's what we do, isn't it? The things that you really don't want to apply to you, you just kind of ignore. We can't serve God and money. You can't say you love Jesus and despise other people because of their race or their political opinions. John Piper says this about John the Baptist. John promises the people forgiveness of sins in response to their repentance. They're turning to God, but he calls them to demonstrate the seriousness of their turning by accepting baptism in the Jordan. This was a remarkable demand of John on his Jewish kinsmen. It was a symbolic rite that proselytes had to go through to become Jewish. This made John's baptism very offensive. 
It implied that unless the Jews were willing to repent, they were not really Jews and could not count on the promised blessings that God had made to His chosen people. The Jews depended on their Jewishness instead of their faith in the Lord. I wonder how many of us this morning, we depend on our Baptistness or our Catholicness or our own goodness to make us right before God. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said, no man comes to me, comes to my Father except by me. Repentance means that we no longer rely on our own strength and our own effort and our own wisdom. Instead, it means that we rely on the Lord. We put our hope in Christ alone. This morning, you may be discouraged. You may be broken hearted thinking, man, I keep, I keep messing up and I keep, I keep sinning before the Lord. Friend, the Word says that the righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. It's the person who just stays down and never rises that's lost. It's the person that's not broken over their sin. This morning, we all need to be warned that the Lord sees it all. You might can delete your internet history, but the Lord sees it. The Lord sees our hearts when nobody else does. He is holy, He is powerful, and He demands perfection. And that is why we put all of our hope in Jesus. Because He came and did what we could not do. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He comes to put bait in front of us. The problem is many times we grab the bait, and then we think we've disappointed the Lord so much that we might as well just stay there forever. It's the same old lie that the enemy shares. Well, you've already messed up this time, and you messed up this time, just, just stay here. The Lord doesn't care about you, the Lord doesn't care, and that's a lie. Because friend, the Lord does care, and He loves you, and He has a plan for you, and He wants to prosper you and not harm you. This week you may have seen the news that Dr. Larry Nasser or Larry Nassar, Michigan State, worked there, doctor, the U.S. Olympic women's gymnastic team, all of that you may have seen on the news. Dr. Larry Nassar abused countless young female gymnasts. Young lady by the name of Rachel Den Hollander, she is the, really the hero. She was the first one who spoke out and accused this doctor. She was the very first gymnast to speak up. This week, she was the last and final victim to share this week in court. And before she went into the courtroom, she prayed with her family and they sang Amazing Grace. I'd like us to hear a quote this morning from her, this brave woman. She said, Larry, if you have read the Bible, you carry. You know that forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done. 
Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. No greater picture of repentance and grace than that. The cross was so powerful and the blood of Jesus was so precious and He really was the Lamb of God that even Dr. Larry Nassar can come to know Christ and be forgiven today of all of his sins. What about you? Are you clean before the Lord? Are you saved? Do you know Christ? Has there ever been a moment in your life when you've repented and been broken over the fact that you have sinned against a holy God? Have you been changed, healed, freed, delivered? Have you found joy, peace, grace, and favor? Can't go back to how it used to be before Jesus changed us. When He saves you, He saves you for a purpose. You're His. You've been bought with a price. And this morning, I just think somebody in the house needs to believe again. Somebody needs to trust again. Somebody needs to remember that He's faithful, that He is able. Our Redeemer, He lives. He can take away our shame. The grave is empty. Next week, we'll see the rest of the Gospel. But before we can come into Christ, before we can walk with Him and talk with Him, hold His hand, There has to be repentance. There has to be brokenness. No matter who we are, no matter our career, our background, isn't it incredible that the Lord knows us as individuals, all the good and all the bad, and yet the Bible tells that He is madly, He loves us.